Hi, I'm award-winning accountant and business advisor Nishi Patel, and you're listening to the Unrelenting Drive podcast. This is essential listening if you're running a small business and need the motivation to scale it. I'll be talking to successful business owners to understand how they built their dream, the adversity they had to overcome along the way, and the advice they would give to someone starting up. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by Ricky Knight from Fitter Bodies Franchise. Hi, Ricky. Thanks for joining us. Uh, hope you like our new studio. Indeed. Very impressive. Yeah, thinking of copying it. <laughs> yeah. If you could just start off with um, telling us a bit about your background and how you got into business, and, um, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. I guess as far as my first business, being a business owner, it, 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 it landed on my lap a little bit insofar as I used to work in a financial services company and, and uh, we used to specialise in mortgages more than anything else. Um, and that's where my career was up to that point actually uh, my, my experience was working at sort of big corporate organizations regarding financial services and and then I worked for a, a local independent company and then in 2004 they decided to sell it and the first uh, point of call was uh, an MBO so they offered it to myself and four of the senior management team uh, so the five of us that that raise the money that was necessary to buy this company and you know just between us i think we paid just over a million for it um and from 2004 up until 2007 but it, it, and do you know what actually it's probably quite important to touch on the bit before that because it felt like you know this is me in my 20s it felt like that pretty much everything up to that point everything that i touched turned to gold honestly and i i had a a horrible ego in my 20s as well that went with that because uh, yeah. I, I honestly whatever I tried I, I was good at it and and so this came along and so I had that like there's nothing in me that thought we can't make a success of this and so from 2004 to 2007 it was successful but you know this is during a market where I think it would have been quite hard not to not be successful yeah. I mean, I'm sure you had to put a lot of effort and um, and skill into it as well. Did you, uh, when you said management buyout, buy how many of you was it? Five. Five of you, okay. And um, were you a qualified financial advisor at the time? Yeah. Okay, fine. Yeah. And um, when you did the management buyout, how did you organize that amongst yourselves? Did you all have different roles in, yeah. in the business? Yeah. Um, what was your role? At that point, I was based down in Milton Keynes and we had offices in Milton Keynes and Luton so I took on the sales director role for okay. Milton Keynes and Luton day to day it wasn't that different as far as what I was doing it wasn't that different to what I was doing before the MBO and, the, and bear in mind that the MBO itself it, it took four to six months for it to go through I really can so yeah, and and so the build up to that, even though we knew it was happening, we knew it was going to go on. Yeah. We were preparing for that, but it's not as if it then went through and then all of a sudden the next day, the next week, our roles drastically changed. We had the extra responsibility that came with it as a as a board, as a team of directors, uh, with regards to, um, I guess, more the strategy and the vision about what we wanted to do with the company and where we wanted to take it and. Uh, those bits we didn't have much of a responsibility before the MBO. Yeah. Um, 
or need to do. But so what happened to the owners? Do they leave on on the uh, the buyout day, or do they hang around? No, they they left. It, it was so. It was actually um, they're known to be an estate agency, and um, they when they set up the estate agents, they then had the financial services arm to it. Okay. which made complete sense because if people are buying their homes, then it meant that they had in-house mortgage advisors yeah. in each of the offices. They then grew to a point, though, where I think the financial services bit, it wasn't their, it wasn't their passion. Their passion was the estate agency side. Oh, yeah, and so yeah. it just it grew to a point where it was kind of like they wanted to free up time to be able to focus purely on the estate agency mm-hmm. side of things. And it just made sense that they then relinquished that part. But moving forward, there was still this um, exclusivity regarding um, the the deal that we had in place whereby all of our mortgage advisors that were based in their offices could carry on like that. They were only going to recommend, they were still going to recommend when people buy their homes that they still use us. So it's almost like... it was the other way around. Like a lot of businesses go from a joint venture to a partnership. Yes. Whereas uh, I guess, uh, yeah, you guys went from a partnership to the joint venture. Yeah. And, uh, but, but you know, that makes sense because sometimes that actually suits people really well. Yeah, it did at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And um, was that your first experience really running a business? Yeah. So that's, that's 2004. Um, so yeah, that, that was the first time. Yeah. And, and it was a steep, I guess it was, a, it was a steep learning curve because, you know, this is a business that was turning over, yeah, at the time it was like ended up a million, a million two, something like that, oh, and wow. 1.2 yeah. million. And, and uh, there were about 25 staff at the time. We, we grew it to a point where, yeah, yeah, including us. And then we grew it to a point where there was about 32 staff and like 1.8 million and, mm. and, and, it was from from going from being an employee yeah. all those years um, to then all of a sudden running a business like that. I, I took to it quite easily just purely because, as I say, my ego at the time yeah. was just kind of like, yeah, look at me. I've just yeah. bought this company for over a million quid. And honestly, it was yeah. – I was an idiot, um, you know, but still in my 20s. This is before I had kids. I was quite immature – uh, I mean, I think you, you're doing a lot more than most 20-year-olds were doing at that point. So I'd, I'd say that's um, yeah. you, prob- you'd probably achieved even a lot up to that point. It's, if you don't mind me asking, um, like normally people start with their childhood a little bit. So like, what, what was your upbringing like? How, how do you get to the point where you, you were that um, cocky, sorry, uh, in your own words? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I, pr- pretty Normal, I, I, I would say, you know, got, got a brother, got a sister, uh, moved around a bit, uh, but it was, it was, it was good. I, I was never a great fit with school. Okay. Um, I just wanted to, from as young as I can remember, I wanted to make money. Yeah. Um, whether that was, I remember at a very early age saying to my dad, I'm going to have your job one day, mm-hmm. whether it was um, go, go, uh, starting a paper round and then, you know, with the paper round, I'd get my brother to help me do half the work and only give him a pound and I was getting seven pounds and like, you know, but yeah, like he was three years younger than me, but just, just doing, doing those sorts of things. Cause I just I wanted to be able to make money. And I, you know what? I remember, uh, when finishing a levels, 
which couldn't come soon enough. And then um, all my friends went off to university and I, I just wanted to get out of their money. So um, just got a crappy job, um, date entry or something like that. But living at home, actually, having a reg- working full-time, having a regular yeah. pay packet, I felt like I was earning good money. Yeah. And then all my friends started coming back from university saying how much of a great time they were having. Yeah. So I thought, hmm, do you know what? I, I quite fancy a little bit of that. So this is you know, 18, 19. Yeah. And so decided to um, save up money to then go to university a year later. I've had a year where... I've been working and earning money, and then I was at university for this week, spending the money that I had earned whilst, so I'm a year older, whilst I'm surrounded by a load of other people, the students that were there on mum and dad's money, and I was just, something just didn't feel right. I sort of, even though I was still very immature at that age, I'd grown up in other ways over that previous 12 months, and I realised very quickly um, that university was not going to be for me so left after a, after freshers week that's the best part and then it just goes downhill from there as yeah. soon as you pick up a textbook really yeah it wasn't for me the studying bit was just not not for me at all so uh, came back drifted yeah. a little bit working in a hotel at the time and um uh and then after that my dad uh, he got me a job with this big insurance company called pearl assurance not even sure if they're even going these days and the day that um i joined was the day that he was made redundant it was it was and it was almost like they were sort of trying to get this sort of fresh young blood through the doors and yeah. sort of get some of the older generation out and and uh, i benefited from that um he helped me as i say get the job um and and I did that, and that was great for me at the time because I was 19 and I got all my qualifications then, yeah. all my financial services qualifications uh, from them and got I had a great mentor there as well, yeah. a guy called Pete Dawes who was brilliant with me and he taught me how to uh, how to sell. But he did, he did things in a way whereby you can, and this is why I got on with him so great, is that there's almost like the textbook, way of doing things and then there is there's there's one that isn't textbook it's a little bit more rogue it still gets the job done but you get the job done and and the lines are maybe a little bit yeah right it's a bit gray it's in that gray operating in the gray area where um certainly in the financial services industry where things are very black and white i'm assuming it wasn't wolf of wall street or anything like that you say that so not then, no. not then, um, but I definitely have had that Wolf of Wall Street experience and that was a few years later. Okay, fine. Um, because, so yeah, I had this sort of great mentor, did very well. So yeah. I, I was, I was sort of, yeah, 19, 20, and it, it, it actually pissed off a lot of the older guys that were in the office that this young whippersnapper would come in. I remember doing stuff like there'd be, it wasn't cold calling, but it was calling up existing, uh, maybe old clients who might take an out insurance policy like 20 years ago and, you know, you still got their details and, yeah. and it's just like calling people up like that. And I remember that um, they were like struggling for sales as an office and everyone in there's about 
20 agents in there in this room and the guy is like right we're going to do some cold calls now and like you know call some of these old clients up and like try and get appointments and mm-hmm. I was just 100% all for that like he said right who's going to have go first and there was me this young whippersnapper I was just like yeah me yeah. Um, and just put a few of the old guys noses out of joint so I would get up there and I was just like on the phone I was getting appointments yeah. I was getting nose along the way as well but I was getting appointments and then I was doing things like going to appointments and then I would knock on the neighbor's door and ask them what they were doing for like their insurance and stuff. And so it was, I was, I was, but I was taught all of that by this, uh, this other guy, um, Pete. And, and, and the thing is at that age is that, um, I just think that you, you, you benefit almost by being naive, by not fearing rejection or anything, just, I was I was naive enough to just listen. Whatever Pete said, I would do. So Newport Pagnell High Street, for example, we need to get business yeah. insurance quotes. We're just going to, you do one side, I do the other side, go in every shop and just get renewal dates. Mm. And I thought nothing of doing that because he said, this is what we're going to do. And he was doing it and then I was doing it. And as I say, I, I don't know, it was, it was just a really good grounding for me um, in the years to come is what, how why did he pick you like out of all, all he didn't he, he didn't pick me he wasn't the guy that uh, recruited me I was just given to him okay and um, funny enough like he knew my dad um, yeah. he, he, was, he was sort of closer to my dad's age than than anything but he was yeah just a just a, a great guy to sort of teach me um, how to, rather than just sit back and wait for the phone to ring, rather than just wait for, be an order taker and wait for things to happen. He was, he taught me from a very early age to go out and just make things happen. You know, I do, I talk to a lot of successful business owners now and, and one thing many of them do have in common, probably more than they don't have in common is that they, they didn't go to university. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them went straight into something, you know, some of them are, are really successful. They didn't even get, go, go finish school, but they are incredibly bright. Like they're, they're incredibly intelligent in, in maybe not in a non-academic way, but they know their numbers. Mm-hmm. They, um, they they know the key it, the actions they need to take. That's actually I think in business that's a sign of a high level of intelligence. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time you got you got so many people that know what they want, but not enough people that know what they what they need to do. Mm-hmm. And um, and that that's one thing I've noticed about that group as well. So yeah, I, I guess um, that is um, it, it is really good that you, you had that from an early age. Mm-hmm. I, I guess. Um, then going going back to the um, the management buyout, and then you, you were running it, but uh, there was five of you. How, how did that go? Did you all get on? We were the senior management team, so we knew each other really well. We knew each other's partners ever so well. Like, yeah, yeah we 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 did. We did get on. In terms of the sales team, was it a sales team you pretty much built from scratch? or It was, when I say built from scratch, it was built from scratch in the previous, in the under the previous ownership. I joined the company okay. when there were only, there were only two uh, mortgage advisors at the time, maybe three. And, and, um, by the time the MBO went through, I think we had 12. And were you already managing that team at that point? Yes. 
Okay, fine. And then, yeah, and then continue to direct it. Yeah. And, and how old were you at, at that stage? 28. Okay, wow. 28 when it went through. So did you, I mean, one of the things that, you know, eludes a lot of small business owners, because I come, come across a lot of clients, especially um, maybe in digital marketing, maybe in service-based businesses, and they, they, they just struggle to build that sales team. I don't know, maybe it's the, the candidates at the moment, just because I, I think um, the, the cost of a sales candidate has gone up disproportionately to pretty much any other um, any other. Uh, type of uh, employee but um, did you uh, did you struggle to recruit back then um, recruit good people or did you no as I say and I remember okay so with regards to using employment agencies yes we did okay um, and so it, 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 just going back to some of the things that my original mentor Pete taught me it was a case of right if stuff isn't happening then go and make it happen yeah. so I used to then go I remember doing it I used to mystery shop here in Northampton I'd go down the high street and I'd go into the banks I'd go into the yeah. building societies um, and I'd line up just loads of appointments with the mortgage advisors and okay. then um, one of them actually I remember uh, she worked at the Coventry Building Society and I, I was blown away I thought she was absolutely amazing I thought she was brilliant and and we ended up getting her and so oh, it was a case of like mystery shopping the yeah. competition finding out who was good yeah. and then um, and then approaching them I hadn't actually thought of that before but that's uh, that's a really good uh, that's a good way to go like, like I say it was it was because of that grounding that I had it was and I've, I've always had that if things aren't happening then think outside the box and go and make if something ain't working then just yeah, yeah. go and make it happen take some kind of action yeah, yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense and um, are you comfortable talking about the, I guess, what happened after 2007? Up until 2007, things were going great. And then <laughs> um, uh, the, the credit crunch uh, hit. And uh, do you know what? I remember being on holiday in France, south of France. Uh, and I remember I, I got this paper, this newspaper. Like My little boy was only ever so young. And yeah. he was in the like paddling pool area. And I was on the sunbed. And I, was, I, I can just remember... The early signs. So this this would have been set August September time, two thousand and seven, and I was reading stuff then about banks. A bit like now, actually, isn't it? <laughs> it's just almost like history repeated itself at the moment with everything going on with Credit Suisse and that. But I was just reading these early signs in the financial pages, and I was just and this is before it became like blew up main yeah. mainstream, and I was just thinking this doesn't look good. Um, and bearing in mind that, I don't know if you've seen the, oh, what's the film? Um, the Big Short. I have seen it, yeah. An amazing good, film. Yeah. But but if you can imagine the, you know, when they, they head down to Florida and they check out the, um, they go and interview. Yes. Yeah, and, and you've got these strippers that are talking about all of these mortgages that they keep getting yeah. and, and like self-certifying their mortgages. Yeah. Cause it's just like, you know, how many mul multiples of your income is like, I didn't have to do that. I just signed to say I could afford it. Yeah. That was us. Like that's how easy things were. Yeah. Not all of the time, obviously, but, um, you know, if you had a, if you had a good enough deposit, then, then, in fact, even if you didn't have a deposit, there were 125 percent loans that we were arranging. Yeah. It was, Northern and it, Rock. in Northern Rock, absolutely, yeah, did plenty of those, and but but everyone was doing it, and and so it was it was 
crazy times. But going back to what I was saying before, mm. there was no there was no real skill in that. It was a bit like order taking. Yeah. The market was rising. The demand was huge. People yeah. were just banging your door down to get an appointment to get the house of their dreams. Even if they didn't have a deposit, we could sort it out for them. And and as I say, it it was it was an easy time to grow and make money. And yeah. that's what we were doing. So I, mean, I remember our outgoings were like a hundred grand a month. Um and so that's fine when times are good and you're arranging loads of mortgages and loads of insurances and you're getting all this money pour in. But as soon as that market, it, it was literally overnight and then no one's lending money, no one's buying houses, everyone's freaked out. And it was, it was really tough. So we weren't then arranging the money. We didn't have the income coming in, couldn't cover the expenses. And so the only, it, it, we had to get rid of staff because that's yeah. obviously a, a, a big um fixed cost so we did that and and then it got to i think it was the march or the april and um a few of the other senior team had already left um there was only me and mel the ceo that were left and it got to the point whereby i i then had to go as well um and he advised that i go uh just for him to sort of try and uh, keep it going as well so um so yeah i i ended up having to uh then go uh, as i say it was like the march of the april 2008 um and 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 the thing is that that's all that i had really known uh financial services and that was not the time to go into try and find another job in financial services (laughs) banking crisis of 2008 so again, going back to the stuff I've learned before uh, about right, think outside the box. I was like, well, this is what it's like in the UK. I'm going to think outside the box now, and I'm going to go overseas. So yeah, went to Dubai, and um, that was a really interesting experience. Um, this is like the May of 2008. Okay. Uh, flew out to Dubai, and. Was was working under the umbrella of a company called Globalite out there. Um, they're still like going now, but it was a case of um, you're, you're self-employed. You got to get your own leads yeah. and then generate your own appointments. And this is what I'm talking about: the Wolf of Wall Street environment. It was a, it was a great experience. I I I. I um, Made sales during that time I was there. Got great commission on those sales while I was there. But then when I started to realise, I always ask myself the same question, okay, would I buy this myself? Yeah. And no matter how good I was at actually selling it, if I if they, if I wouldn't go near it, if I wouldn't yeah. take one out myself, then yeah. it, integrity-wise, it just it doesn't see it right. And... Um, that that was really difficult because I want I desperately wanted it to work, desperately wanted it to work. I wanted to uh, to get to a point whereby um, there was I got the contacts, there was regular money coming in. Um, I could then move my wife and the kids out there as well, okay. and we could then you went ahead of them. Yeah, I went. I, they, they weren't there. I was there on my own initially, just to make sure yeah. it would work, just to get it all set up. And so that—that's what 
we wanted. That we, you know, we wanted to get out of the UK with everything that was happening and go and set up. You know, somewhere like Dubai, where it's sunny and yeah. tax-free and beaches and all the glitz and glamour that comes with Dubai. Um, was your wife working at the same time? She or, was on maternity. Okay, all right. So there's pro- a lot of pressure on you, like, yeah. to actually oh, perform. Yeah. Massive, massive. How do you handle that pressure? Um, it was, it was definitely one of the toughest times of my life because it wasn't just me and her it was it was with that extra responsibility of young children as well once i realized that okay this isn't a good fit for me selling these products i was then thinking what the hell do i do though because i'd always i'd always not only had a job but been good at the job and then all of a sudden i was just thinking the thought of going back home daughter was born in the november we, we, we'd had to, because of everything that had happened, we'd have to yeah. get rid of our cars um, when the previous company, when that sort of folded. So we had to get rid of the cars. We had to move out of our house. Okay. Um, so while I was living in Dubai, Alex, my wife, with our son, she was, she'd moved in with her, back in with her mum and dad. Oh, right. So, the, so did, you, did you own the house and you lost it? In- no, 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 no. We owned, we owned the house, but then rented it out. Okay, fine, yeah. So we knew that the mortgage would be covered, but we just couldn't afford because we didn't have any money coming in. We couldn't couldn't oh, afford. Right. So literally yeah, gone right. from having like the big executive car and yeah. nice house and all these nice things and then all of a sudden in, in the space of a few months, like nothing. Yeah. Um and so did it how did it affect your family like back then, like when, when you did have nothing? Was it was there a lot of tension in the house or was it did you all come together? Yeah, so for Alex, my wife is is unbelievably support. She was unbelievably, and you know, continues to to be so. But um, she's she 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 helped me to get through it. She was the one yeah. that said, "You can do this." Mm. So the crazy idea of going out to Dubai, I floated that idea by her, and she was yeah. like, "Yeah, go for it. You can do it." Okay. So the support was there because I think she realised that we're very limited for options here in the UK, and so she, she, it's not like there was any blame or anything like that. Oh, it was okay. it, we, we, we we were. Hate to use the word victim, but we were we were definitely subject to the external conditions of the economy. Um, so, but it, it it made it because of that backdrop. It made yeah the 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 importance of me making a success of it in Dubai. It it, it did make that. Um, uh, like yeah, a, a really important thing to do. But then when I realised that I'm going to have to come home here because yeah. there weren't any other options out in in Dubai, so I came home in the November. Um, so made it for in time from when my daughter was born. Mm-hmm. She's 14 now, so um, yeah, did did that. And then I was going for job interviews for basically just financial advisor jobs down in London, though. Uh, because there was still demand in London for those sort of roles. Um, so, But I wasn't getting them. I wasn't getting them. It was tough having to deal with that rejection because, as I say, I wasn't used to that. 
Um, I haven't had that in my working life up to that point. So I would have been like 32 at this point. Um, and so it was a case of, I'm just going to have to start another business. <laughs> like I, just, I literally had no choice. Yeah. I, I, I just get rejected from everywhere. And that was soul destroying. So I was like, right, I'm going to have to, again, sort this out myself. And, and, um, I ended up, I remember, so we, we were living with Alex's mum and dad still. Uh, it was winter, freezing cold. They had a garage that had been set up as a bit of an office, but I was yeah. out there with one of these portable heaters. Yeah. I had a phone, yeah. uh, this portable heater. I was wrapped up. It was snowing outside, yeah. and I had an old database of like old clients that we'd had at the yeah. previous company, and so I... Um, I hit that list and just the old basic thing of got appointments and from the back of appointments then started um, selling insurances, more insurances than anything else. Yeah. Um, just to sort of try and get cheaper insurances for people because <clears throat> they might have been sort of struggling with their own bills and that. So it, yeah. I'd get in the foot, foot through the door would be like, let me start, try and save you some money on your insurances. And yeah. And, and literally just kicked it off like that. Um, started that. And then one of the old guys from the senior team with the previous company, I contacted him um, because I was aware, as, as, as good as I am at like getting all those bits done, um, going out, generate, basically generating money, um, I'm not great at the other bits that come with running a business. Um, the... the, the um, the sort of more technical bit, and especially in financial services, the compliance side of things yeah. and all of that. So, were you part of a network at that point? Yes, we were. Yeah. Um, and so I, did, I contacted him. I said, Look, d- doing this, do you fancy going in together? We can like set up, set up a new business. And, yeah. and so we, we did that. And actually, that, that went really, really well. We were, we were affiliate, we were one of the partners with Money Supermarket. And so we, we were like one of the, uh, people that we get in our leads from there and uh, therefore all of a sudden because it was insurance we transitioned then from what we were doing before where we were in offices doing stuff face to face transition this new company was yeah. we could be national with this and all we're doing is we're just dealing with leads yeah. that are coming in we pay for those leads obviously and then we yeah just call them quickly and we do our normal thing over the phone and we we're a broker we try and save money and so that was that was good for a few years okay um but do you know what i'll tell you what happened it was it it drove me insane when i wanted to get that there might be when it comes to marketing there might be something that is topical that's news sensitive yeah and I would want to try and get some marketing message out there that was relevant to something that was yeah going on in the news. Okay. And we were part of a network. And so I remember getting these adverts put together and then it would have to go and get approved. <clears throat> and that was taking 10 days to get this approval on an advert, by which time when it came back approved, it's like, well, it's gone now. And, and that was almost like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. I, 
I didn't really want to set up another business in financial services, if I'm completely honest. But that's all that I knew. And after a few years, again, we're earning good money again and moved back into our original house. And so things were going well again. But, you know, so by this time, I'm like 35. I just, I was so down. I was so, so down because I hated financial services I yeah. I honestly <laughs> with all the compliance as well and things like it's that sausage factory, isn't it? yeah that yeah, yeah. Um, and I just I didn't know what to do to get out of that and um, Alex my wife again really supportive she was like well, what you if do anything like what would it be and at the time, I was into my running and my fitness, and I yeah. thought, I thought that's, I thought that's, that's something that would be good. But you know, you try and just start out as a personal trainer, and yeah. you don't really earn much money from it. And here we were. I, I didn't, want, I didn't want to risk losing the house again. Yeah. Um. So, uh, I we we, we chatted about it and. We thought, right, let's just give it another six months and gave it another six months. And it was just, it didn't get any better. It got worse. Yeah. And I mean, there was a point in my business, like um, I was about a year in. So about this was about eight years ago. And then yeah. we we almost ran our money. And, um, and well, I say we, I was the only one there at that point. And I, I was thinking, okay, I'm going to have to go get a job now. Mm. And then I, I, I had a few, like spates of luck although in hindsight I recognize them as just me doing enough of the right things paying off um but it, it took it took long enough to start paying off and then just before it was about to go under I, I i started to get the cash in the bank and it became sustainable again and um and then but I, that thing back then sticks with me all the way now and I kind of, and I, I wonder, like, you know, accountants, especially, like, more than most people, we're aware of the impact of compounding. Like, you know, getting a client, like, five years ago is better than getting a client today because you'll have had that client for five years. And um, and I, I kind of think, like, you know, if I, if I was a bit riskier with with the money or took, took more educated risks rather than, you know, sat on it and built that war chest and then now I'm, I'm kind of make, overcompensating, but, um, you know, part, part of it as well is, there's a, I think there's a book, um, sorry, I know that there's a book and it's called Profit First. Yeah. yeah. And this is one of the things that really gives me mixed signals because, like, I, I, at first I believed, like, don't, don't um, use up your cash flows mm-hmm. to invest in the business. I know it's a stupid thing to believe in hindsight, but that's probably what held me back a bit. Then I, then I got to a point where I was actually comfortable spending money and, and growing the business mm-hmm. using that money I'd, I'd built up. And then you know you read profit first, and then it, it essentially says, okay, own, pay yourself first, and then only grow out of your profits. And it's a it's a bit of a, a mind game because uh, uh, you know part of you you know see stories of all these entrepreneurs where they're getting loans. Like you know you, you got a loan for for to buy your first business and do that management buyout. And but if if there wasn't that recession, it, it probably would be really successful. Yeah. And so, you know, you'd ask the question, was that the wrong decision to make at the time? Well, maybe or not necessarily, but, or maybe it was, there was a halfway house, but I I think, you know, what you're saying, it really resonates with me because I've been there as well. And you're always, uh, and I I think part of it is no one wants to be that guy with a failed business. Um, Or, I mean, 
like I, I know you had to because of extenuating circumstances yeah. but there's always there's always this pride or ego thing and and you, you're trying to think what would people on the outside looking in see it as and um that, that you know that plays a part in it as well so I, I i do kind of get what you're saying oh it does completely as i say especially given how big my ego was in my 20s and i yeah. i wasn't used to failure and so all of a sudden for it to go the way that it did um i don't know if there's a little part of me that was using it using it conveniently to sort of say i've got to get out of the uk to um go and set up overseas where perhaps they're riding out this um credit crunch recession a little bit yeah. better but whether there was a part of me that was just like i've got to run away from this i don't know if like maybe there was a bit of me just like this is like a really embarrassing situation and i've got to run away yeah. um i don't know maybe but um when at, at the age of because I don't know, Nisha. You might you, you might be able to answer this with sort of the people that you've come across um, over yeah. the years. Uh, I, I don't know very many people that are that are in a career that they've been in for say twenty odd years that love it. Where, but they they so many of the people that I know feel very trapped. When they get to that middle age and kids and mortgage and cars and all of that stuff, rat race, if you want to call it, yeah. and, and it's like, I, I don't really like what I do, but it earns me good money and what else? I, I can't do anything else. I've just got to see this, see this through. Yeah, I, I think... You know, when I think about that, I, I I totally agree. But then when I look at the first sort of my first part of my career, I guess, like I, my father was an accountant in business, and um and I kind of saw that as, as a, a, a something I could do as well, and it was something I was interested in. And I, I do sometimes wonder how much of that influence led my decision into that, and mm. and then because I, I guess when you're that when you're younger it's it can be really difficult to pick a career and and you know especially if you've got that get up and go you just want to do something and see if it works yeah. like i i know the the opposite side of that is i know some young people who are just like you know spend all day researching about what their next career would be and then you know five years later they're still working in starbucks but trying to make that choice to get into that right career yeah. and you know their peers who started just you know got got that job straight away in any anything they, they're, they're much further ahead and yeah. and I, I think you know when you work your way up a career it's a lot easier to do a sideways move into another career or industry because when you when you built up those soft skills you know you're not just relying on your education and your your grades anymore you you know you can go to an interview people can see you're someone that can present and mm -hmm. they can see the different uses for you so i think i think it's a normal thing to do especially if you're the kind of person that you know initially just got into something because you're the kind of person that just wanted to do something i think it can become really difficult as well if it is your own business then so as i say this is this was my second business specifically within financial services yeah. i'm 35 years old i'm hating it I, I am feeling trapped but got all of those rut race things uh what, what did you hate about it because one thing i i have realized is if you even within an industry there's so many different careers and opportunities like mm -hmm. I, I guess initially i was an accountant in in my business and then i now i, I focus more on staff development and, and the client um, generation 
and, and, and client advisory. So my, my role over the last nine years, if I was still doing what I was doing nine years ago, I'd be like blowing my brains out yeah. and I, I would really struggle with it. I'd be insanely bored, but because I, I've managed to move around the business uh, over that period of time and, and, you know, explore new things. And, and uh, I, I mean, we, we know each other, so you, you kind of know my journey to, to redevelop our, mm-hmm. our um, offering as well. So going from more traditional accountancy offering to, um, to the Apex program, mm-hmm. where it's more rounded and, and nurturing in terms of helping people really scale up. But if, if I was just doing what we were doing before, I, I would probably be at a point where I was I'm just, just completely bored now. But I, 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 we've got this vision. And I, I think it was, is it Michael Beckwith? He, he said the pain pushes you until the vision pulls. So yeah. maybe the if that can be, in fact, that's a fitness quote as well. I think it relates to the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. But um, it. But I think when I apply it to business, I, I realized, like, you know, I started my business because I wanted that freedom. Mm. I had that pain of not having that freedom, and, and I wanted that recognition. And then eventually I got to a point where I'd got those things, and um, I, I, I needed the next thing. And then that's where the vision really came into it. And I think I'd say I, even though this business is, like, nine years old now, I, I only really developed that vision about two years ago or a year and a half ago. And that's where that's where that pain where it took over from that pain and now it's like pulling me along because i know i know there's business owners that need to benefit from my experience building my own business not just my own my experience as an accountant i think the to answer your question what what was it i hated about it so this is this is what i so I, it, I was 17 years in and um i i, I was I don't know whether it's bored, bored of, bored of talking about insurances, bored of just, as I say, compliance. How slow things got. I was quite, quite impulsive. If I see a good idea, I want to implement it quickly, yeah. and I, I hated feeling that I couldn't implement my ideas quickly. Yeah. Um, do you, is that because you you were constrained by the FCA regulations? Yeah, and absolutely, that's exactly it. How how is it going without you? Like, I think it's fine. I think it's right. I, I just I, I just got out. I just said to my business partner, "That's it. I'm done. I'm gonna." Eat. Honestly, I swear, thought I was having a midlife crisis because I was like gonna yeah. retrain as a personal trainer, and, okay. and 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 that was it. And that's what I did. And. I remember because it was 2012, yeah. August. I started just before the London Olympics started. Okay. And I was just in this field near the opposite of Tesco in Hunsbury and, and in Northampton. And I was just there in a field with some crappy equipment that I'd bootstrapped. Yeah. That I got out of the boot of my car. Yeah. And I was delivering these sessions and I don't know, I got rid of the traditional suit and I was then in a track suit and um, it felt good and that honeymoon period soon wore off when we just weren't earning any money it was, oh man it was terrible it was that sounds like my first year of business yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's all those all those doubts then coming again like what have you done 
you know, this this uh, this is irresponsible putting yourself first before the kids and like all those those things were coming into my head because I was I was um, I don't know. It makes it does make you sort of look at the world differently, doesn't it? When you become a parent and when you do have that extra responsibility, and there I was doing something as reckless, even though Alex, my wife, she was supporting me all the yeah. way. Um, and and the plan was like for, she, like she she came in with me as well to help uh, get things set up because like she that's where her passion was as well uh, regarding fitness and she'd gone through since the birth of that, our second child she'd had a hell of a lot of weight that she struggled to lose and there was nothing out there that the the like personal training was was not something we could afford um one-to-one personal training and just joining a gym wasn't an option just because it was crap and it was intimidating there was nothing out there that offered this small group personal training type of thing whereby it's or it's like the, something in between whereby you you still offer the like accountability the nutrition support and setting goals with clients and all that kind of thing that you would get with a one-to-one personal trainer. You still get all of that, but because you're delivering the actual session in a small group, whereby everyone's similar, similar age, same sex and all that sort of thing. We, we chose ladies over 30, but because of that, um, you can bring the cost right down and so therefore make it a, a lot more affordable. So those that, that really wanted personal training but couldn't afford it, then this is this is something that kind of, that can help so you could scale it yeah reuse materials yeah yeah or leverage materials even yeah yeah exactly and and so so that's what we decided to do and it seemed like a great idea and i remember the way that i got people to come and just try it out initially was like using groupon offers just just putting offers out on groupon it's like can we get 10 sessions for 10 pounds or something like that and of which we would get like forty five percent of that, I think it was. So I'd get four pound fifty for yeah. someone signing up to come and do ten sessions. But it was getting people through the door, yeah. through the door onto the field that I could then try and convert into a paying membership. Um, and whilst it was working, it just wasn't moving quick enough. Certainly not enough for us to be able to again just pay for all of our outgoings, which we trimmed as much as we could. Because. I guess you were at that point building up virality, weren't you? Because I was watching the an interview. Uh, was it? Uh, I can't. Nick Jenkins, who the founder of Moonpig, and he was. Uh, he'd essentially said that he got to a point where he'd put a million pounds of his own money. He he had nothing left, and the investors were pulling out and saying, "Hey, stop stop putting money into it. You, you're going to need to pay rent and and live after this." Mm-hmm. And he was like, well, "I've got no more money to put in. I just put it all in." But he'd, he'd put a million pounds of his own money because he did really well working out in Russia, um, and then he, he came back with all that money, put it all in Moonping, and it still hadn't made a profit by then. Yeah. And and he was like, you know, we were trying all this, all these different types of marketing, and they just weren't working. And then he said, but one thing I noticed was I was looking at the numbers, and for every person that bought um, a card, another one-third of the person would then come and come back and buy another card. And we were growing by that just because of that little logo on the back. And I, I guess what you're describing there is that, like, you know, I think business owners, 
you can get to a mindset where you can just advertise, advertise, advertise. Um, but sometimes you you've got to you've got to understand like yeah you've got to build that virality through marketing and and just through your existing client base, and and then the rest all you can do is then batten down the hatches, wait two years, keep keep everything going consistently, wait two years, and then suddenly like you know it, it'll all pay off. But the thing, looking back, the that came along at just the right time that I then completely, I am talking, completely immersed myself in yeah. was Facebook ads. Okay. That, that, and I was ahead of the curve because I felt I had to, I was desperate. And through desperation, I, I had burned the ships. Okay, uh, there was no going back. I could not go back to financial services. So through desperation, I was just—I've got to find something else that's going to speed up this process because like, these bills are just stacking up, and like it was—it was incredibly difficult. Um, but at the back of my mind as well, I was thinking, I can't have another failure here. I can't do this again. And Facebook ads, well. They were nothing like what they are now, certainly with regards to the sort of stuff you could put out and yeah. like literally put out anything before and after photos and everything, which you definitely can't do now. Um, but that's what I was doing. And I was, yeah. I was, and I, I paid money to, um, mainly in America, it was like guys that were teaching how to do Facebook ads, like a bit like getting out with TikTok stuff. And, and that accelerated everything. I was like, didn't have that much money to spend, but any money that I did have went on that because I could see that that was something that could accelerate our growth. And yeah, just completely immersed myself in it to the point where I all of a sudden then felt like a marketer rather than a personal trainer. Yeah. And when that happened, that changed everything because then i could see the power of paid advertising and so i started to then just monitor right you know click through rates and um, how much is it costing to get a, not only a lead but then someone on the phone and then what's the conversion rate of people that i spoke to and and all of those once i realized that it was a case of so minute, for every hundred pound that i spend i'm getting it was 10 times i was getting a thousand pounds back Wow. Okay. But, but that was that was just off the front end program. Yeah. No, that wasn't the uh, exactly. Yeah. Onto onto long standing membership. You still think Facebook ads are really effective? I mean, they cost a lot more now, don't they? Yeah. Yeah. But, but so in answer to your question, yeah. yes, because once once we'd kind of cracked that, yeah. um, and don't get me wrong, that those first two years were still incredibly hard work, but. Because of that predictability, it just felt like it was impossible to fail. It was it was just as long as we keep doing this, yeah. then and we managed to on our, once I'd moved out of that unit actually off that field, and we got our own unit then in Northampton, big sort of three thousand square foot unit, yeah. and managed to negotiate a deal on that whereby it was staggered. So for the first six months, I don't think we paid any rent. And then it was staggered after that. It was it was like uh, 50%, then 70%, then 8%. Then after the like 11th month, that's when we paid the full amount of rent. Okay. And because of then, because of the way that we managed to negotiate that deal, 
And because of the predictability that came through the Facebook advertising, I could see that that tied in really nicely with, I was like, well, in six months' time, that's where we're going to be membership-wise because of what we're getting from the ads. And so that allows us to just grow into this unit. And so we did that, and it worked incredibly well. And, uh, and, and, then, and then after the two years, I remember I said to Alex, I want to franchise this. Yeah. I want to franchise – because, as I say, because of that predictability, all of a sudden then we were getting our systems right with regards to how – like conversions and how to keep people and yeah. service people and everything. And so I remember sitting down with franchise consultants after two years in sort of, you know, different hotels and saying I wanted to franchise it. And you know, some of them were actually sort of quite keen just to get you on board straight away and yeah. get your money and everything. But uh, there was there was one that was just honest and said, "If I if I were you, I'd give it five years." Okay. Um, and so that was that was our plan to get everything right in the first five years and then look to franchise it. Then. So how long ago was that? When did you actually franchise it? First franchise was two thousand and. 17 it was five years it was five years later um and leading up to that we put it to the test we put we had some stress tests along the way one of them being that we'd go away in the summer for six weeks and just see how the business ran without us being there day to day Uh, we did that and and um we then decided to (laughs) put it through a serious stress test, we decided to move overseas, and uh, we we moved to Marbella in Spain in 2017, and uh, which was amazing. Like since we'd been travelling, we'd always wanted to live abroad, and like the Dubai thing obviously didn't work out, uh, but we still wanted to live abroad. So so we did that, and we set up our first franchise while we were living in Marbella. Okay. Because um, what I'd done is I'd set up another business, which was like a side hustle, which grew to a point. It's still going now, by the way. Um, which which we got a lot of our franchisees from, which was a marketing company purely for personal training. Actually, all I did was I would find campaigns that worked. I would then record the videos were five ten minutes long, no more than that, okay. and I'd just record how, exactly how I set it up. The exact wording, the exact images, what was working. Uh, the stuff that didn't work, the stuff that did work. Yeah. And then I would just upload them to a library, so a member suite. And I did all of that and then just grew this this side hustle business that had tons of personal trainers and gym owners that, that were paying a monthly membership fee to... Um, to just learn that stuff. So our first franchisee came from that group. Okay. So there was a lot of trust that had already been built up uh, with regards to that. But like I say, it just seemed like a sensible thing to do regarding franchising because of because the, the advertising part was so predictable. It was a case of just trying to get this across to people that yeah. we'll do the marketing bit for you. You don't even have to learn that bit. We'll do that and we'll help you get this predictable growth from nothing to here in this space of time um, that takes a lot of the stress. Uh, takes a lot of the stress from uh, when you first set up a business. Yeah. The other reason that I felt strongly about franchising, even though lots of people were advising me not to do it, was because 
I've wanted to grow the business. I've wanted to have multiple locations. <clears throat> we both did around the country, but we did not want to borrow money okay. yeah. to fund that growth because of everything that had happened in the past. So franchising was the obvious route to go down. Yeah, we've got clients where they put so much effort into raising money. It's, and I think, yeah, you know, sometimes, you know, they put a lot of effort into just raising a small amount of money. And, and I'm like, just get a personal credit card or just, yeah. get, just get a personal loan. There's no, no need to do kind of all that effort to do it through your business yeah. just for that small amount of money. But, um, yeah, it, it does. It, it, that's why, like, a lot of these larger businesses, they've got a finance director and finance team just so they can get the numbers right just to um, raise that money. And it's... You know, maybe in in some ways it's massively inefficient, but in other ways, I, I guess yeah, there's probably businesses where the finance director is raising money just to pay their own salary. I did a video yesterday, and it was about should you um, borrow to grow your business, and and one thing I've realised over time is, and this is from my own mistakes as well as things I've observed, is if you if you don't have a strategy that works, borrowing to grow your business is just throwing the money away. Yeah. But, you know, then what you're talking about, the Facebook stuff, at the point where you know the Facebook stuff works, then borrowing to, to back that, knowing then you've got a return, then you know pretty much what you're going to get out of what you borrow. And it's and I think maybe some of the lessons I've learned, although I, I, I wasn't as extreme as some other people were, but, you know, early on I hadn't quite got something that worked and I was still throwing money at lots of random stuff, whereas really um, I, there, there's a really good book which talks about, you know, um, starting your business on a shoestring and it's just about like finding that minimum viable product and 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 that idea where, where you can just f find something that works on a really small scale before you start scaling it up and i, I think you know if i was starting all over again i, I would <coughs> definitely go down that route and mm -hmm. and have the patience to, to test things um but no you're right but, uh, but i think what, what you're saying with the the franchise it, it makes a lot of sense and um for us yeah for us it did it does continue to yeah. uh, make sense? That's how we've, I think, managed to grow the way that we have on the franchise business is because of the uh, because we are so confident in the marketing strategy that we've got in place. And for most personal trainers, fitness professionals, they they join the industry because they want to help people. They want yes. to help people. They, 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 there's a nice feeling that you get from yeah. a lot of job satisfaction that you get from helping someone go from A to B, and uh, just just see that change. In it's not it's not just the obvious transformation in body composition. It's everything that comes with it. It's the, the cleaner and yeah. The problem is that you got a lot of fantastic personal trainers that have no idea how to market themselves and so therefore they they, they get a chance. They, no, no, absolutely. Yeah. So when we come along with our proposition of, look, join us, we'll take care of that marketing bit for you. Yeah. We'll make sure that not only you're getting leads, but you're getting qualified leads that are from local ladies over 30 yeah. that 
complaint in application form telling you why they need to do this broker. Like, honestly, look, it's so refined now because we've tried and tested so many things over the years, and it's not just Facebook now, but it's Instagram, and now we're sort of like trying to do some stuff on TikTok as well. You know, you kind of have to evolve uh, with the times, but it is a it is a space that is, that works well with social media. Yeah. the sort of fitness oh, space tiktok's just crazy at the moment isn't it because alex was telling me about the, the video she did about how to put your coat on to go for a walk and then uh, she got like fifteen thousand views or something uh, and it was just her putting a coat on and uh, and some gloves and a hat and uh yes. tiktok compared to the others it's almost like people are tuning in to be entertained it's a little bit like if you were to put this podcast out on tiktok you'd yeah. have to take a 20 second 30 second snippet yeah and jazz it up and uh and 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 like use that if there's any bit in here whereby i don't know that would would work on tiktok whereby it kind of just stirs someone a little bit even if it just agitates someone a little bit uh, the agitation is a good thing with facebook and instagram you can localize it you can just do that pin drop when you're doing your targeting and you can say right that's four miles of that pin drop where the studio is we're going to focus on marketing just people that live within four miles that are female that are between 30 and 60 and you can not really like being able to do that like if you compare to what like what marketing used to be like we used to sort of taking out ads in magazines and stuff like that like this is so targeted it's it's amazing and right now TikTok doesn't have the ability to do that. TikTok is more national stuff, and you almost rely on the algorithm to localize it. But in America right now, they're they're beta testing the local stuff. So we know that the local stuff is coming for TikTok. And when that does come, we are going to be all over it. When we have the ability, because actually they're behind the scenes, if you look at their ads manager, it's set up very, very similar to Facebook. Okay. But you don't have the ability, as I say, to, to localise it. So I think this year, six months or so, when we have that ability to do it, then then it, it will be so good for us to be able to have another platform to use because <clears throat> as good as Facebook is, it's not nice to feel too dependent on one lead source. No, you're absolutely right. Um I mean, this this has been really insightful. I, I, like, I've, I've just learned a lot of stuff about you I didn't know before. But um, yeah, I, I guess like to, to sort of end things off. What, so, what's that one bit of advice you'd give to someone starting out? If there's one thing, just one. Okay. Learn how to sell. It. Whether it's yourself, whether it's a product, a service learn how to sell regardless of what happens if you know how to sell you will always be able to earn money it's a little bit like in the old days it's like having a trade but selling you can use in any industry if and and um yeah whether that's in financial services like it's just like we're, we're doing it in a completely different industry now and just having that ability a lot of people they they think of selling as like the traditional yeah. used car salesman and it's it's not if you're if you believe in what it is that you're selling yeah. then just learn how to articulate articulate yourself in a, in a way whereby others are gonna uh, want to buy it 
Well, Ricky, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. So you've been listening to Unrelenting Drive, and I will see you at the next episode.